Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Last Song You Heard podcast. It's your host, Kev, here for another companion piece episode where I go through the song, artist, album, and all that stuff in between um, in regards to the previous episode, the previous full-length episode released on Tuesday. Now, this week's episode, uh, you know, a couple days ago, two to be exact, had my good friend, my handsome friend, Joe, on. Joe brought us um, an absolute classic hip-hop song, sometimes regarded as one of the greatest hip-hop songs of all time. It's Cream, Cash Rolls Everything Around Me, by the Wu-Tang Clan. Now, if you want to hear uh, a little bit of that song, do not look it up. Do not go on Spotify. What I want you to do is go back to the episode on Tuesday and listen to the 27-second clip that I put in there. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, um, it, it's a certified classic. It's a great song. I mean, we talked about it a little bit on the actual episode itself. It was released... Early on in the 90s, um, at the time, the West Coast, G-Funk era was happening. New York was obviously very much on the map, but um, the West Coast sound had really taken over uh, the hip-hop landscape at that time. Uh, Puff Daddy and Biggie and a few other artists had started to really come up in New York and started putting the East Coast back on, but Wu-Tang and uh, this first album that they put out um, is definitely something that uh, uh, helped uh, um, put New York back on the map when it comes to uh, hip-hop and rap. So to talk a little bit about this song, again, it's uh, uh, C-R-E-A-M, or Cream. So it was released on January 31st, 1994 as the third single for the debut album Enter the Wu-Tang, The 36 Chambers. The song, much like most of the Wu-Tang Clan's music, was produced by uh, RZA. It samples um, the 1967 song As Long As I've Got You by the Charmels. I'm going to play a little, just a little brief clip of that so you can get an understanding of where that sample came from. It's a cool song, huh? So uh, the song has two verses, uh, Raekwon and Inspect a Deck. Um, really, it just talks, uh, or they talk about um, growing up in New York and Long Island. Uh, they talk about, um, you know, living in the projects and, and, and just generally what their lives are like and about how, you know, money is ruling everything uh, around them. Um, it's... Uh, it's a song, well, the hook is, is sung, spoken by Method Man, um, and the, the, the song itself, um, is really, it's more about, like, the, the pitfalls of money and consumer culture and things like that. Um, some folks seem to think of it more as, like, um, 
almost like a capitalist anthem, if you will, where it's like, you know, it's it's they're talking about money in this like positive light and it rules everything around me and it's the end all be all kind of thing. Whereas in reality, if you really read the lyrics, you listen to it. And I think as a lot of people understand, um, it's not really a positive song at all. It's similar to um, it's similar to like Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, where like I think it was Reagan was using that song as like this um, it, it, like a campaign campaign song um, championing uh, the United States and and whatnot. When in reality, that song is a very uh, negative. Uh, song about the United States so just one of those weird situations where the original song or the meaning behind that song gets flipped unfortunately and it's utilized in um, in kind of the uh, the opposite of you know what the the plan was or what the actual song is so when it was a release again January 31st of 94 it was highly regarded at that time. One of the big things is the production and the uh, lo-fi kind of aesthetic to it. It's pretty crazy. I mean, they were working with what they had. Um, you know, RZA and the rest of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan, like, didn't... I mean, it's their first album. They weren't really... Um, you know, on the map at all. So um, when they were recording and, and producing and, and everything like that, they used what they could, and it created this incredible sound, and there's, like, this crunchiness to it. It's lo-fi. It's, it seems and sounds um, legitimate as opposed to something very polished, and it just it fits the nature of the lyrics as well. So um, it was as far as... Um, fans of hip-hop and whatnot it was praised and it, again it really it really reinvigorated this this scene within new york but commercially speaking it wasn't really a hit it actually i i think it just it peaked at number 60 on the billboard hot 100 or at least it um it, it uh, debuted at number 60 in 1994 um and then it was certified gold in 2009 so that's quite a long time later for it to be uh, uh certified gold but as far as the the track itself, some you know kind of background on it, um, it was actually originally titled "Lifestyles of the Mega Rich," um, and it was recorded in, in 1991 and, and shelved basically. So Raekwon, I was reading um, through like Wikipedia, and I found an article where Raekwon talks on it a little bit. So this is this is what uh, Raekwon had to say. I remember writing to the beat a long time ago before we actually came out. That beat is old. It was probably like an 89 beat. RZA had it that long because he had a bunch of breaks. He had all kind of things, and he was making beats back then, but we were just picking, and that beat happened to always sit around, and I would be like, I want that beat, so don't give that beat to anybody. And he kept his word, and he let me have it. So again, that's Raekwon talking about the song, and I mean, how long ago it had been, at least the beat was produced, and... Um, so, you know, adding just a little bit more to the, uh, mythology of this, uh, this classic track. So according to Raekwon, um, the hook was written by Method Man, who, uh, as far as I could tell, is kind of known for that, or at least was at that time, um, as someone who could, you know, put together some catchy hooks. But the term cream was actually, um, 
I guess, introduced to Method Man uh, by a friend of his, Raider Ruckus, who uh, was in prison and, you know, was referring to Cash as Cream. Um, and from there, they used that for the title of the song and the hook. The video for the track, it's... Um, you know, it's pretty straightforward. It really it's just the members of Wu-Tang Clan starting off in Staten Island at the projects, just going through life. There's, like, clips intermingled, or clips of them, you know, going through day-to-day -day things intermingled with them, you know, rapping. Um, and then it, as the video progresses, they end up, you know, in a more lavish lifestyle, in a mansion with champagne and, like, nice cars and all that stuff, and really it just kind of is going through the, the song itself. Uh, one thing when I was watching the video, um, it just, <laughs> the outdoor shots, I don't know how cold it was the day they shot that, but Jesus Christ, it looked like it was frigid. Um, I don't know why that stuck out to me so much. It just, it was so cold. It looked like it was so cold at least. But anyway, a little bit about the album. Um, uh, again, it's their debut album, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. So it was released by Firehouse Studio, um, in, uh, 1993, um, on October 9th of 1993 to be exact. The RZA, uh, ODB, and Method Man produced it or had some form of production on it. There were four singles total. Protect Your Neck was first, Method Man was second, uh, Cream third, and then Can It All Be So Simple was fourth. The title of the album um, comes from the uh, martial art films Enter the Dragon and um, the 36th the 36th Chambers of Shaolin, um, two separate movies. And as I mentioned, um, it was recorded on the cheap. Um, all nine members at some points would be in the studio together. Um, and then even sometimes in the, all in the booth at the same time, um, just due to, to, to needing to get things done. Um, one thing that I thought, it was kinda, it's kind of cool uh, that the, it happened this way, but apparently uh, to decide who would appear on, like, which beat or which track whatever <laughs> RZA forced each rapper to battle each other to get uh on the tracks um and yeah I I, I think it's cool that that was kind of how it um how it went I will I will say in the brief reading that I've done about Wu-Tang I I will be honest I'm not a um I'm not as knowledgeable about Wu-Tang um as I probably could or should be they're not a group that I ever really got full into. I know I mentioned it on the episode with Joe where, you know, I have a very outside um, perspective on them. I know their hits. Um, you know, I know some of their more fabled history, um, more related to ODB. Um, but just a quick note about RZA and hearing that he would force these rappers to battle one another to get on the tracks. He's, you know, the the leader of the Wu-Tang Clan. Um Personally, hearing some of that stuff, it seems a little bit control freak, and you know he he uh, kind of levied his power a little bit, maybe too much. Um, and as you'll hear later on, and as I go through the history of them, there there were some um, issues with with how he was running things in that sense. But I don't know. I've never really heard of anything like that before, where it's like, hey, I got these beats. If you want to get on it, you better win this 
you know, rap battle, like, and, and just have people do that. I think it's cool, but within the further context of the group, it seems a little not cool, <laughs> for, for lack of a better way of putting it. Anyway, though, um, I did want to talk about the group, um, you know, just some history on them as well. So uh, they, they started, uh, or rather, uh, a version of the group uh, started in the late 80s. Um, so it was uh, RZA, Jizza, and ODB formed a group called Force of the Imperial Master. They had different monikers. RZA went by The Genius. Jizza went by Prince Rakim. Um, and they released an album each. So RZA and Jizza each had an album come out. ODB, I don't believe, did. But then once those albums were dropped, uh, or released, rather, they got dropped from the labels that they were on. And if I remember correctly, I think Jizza is quoted as saying that he remembers the label moving forward with the group House of Pain, um, who has a, that Jump Around song, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, RZA, Jizza, and um, ODB. So, and he was obviously very pissed about that. Um, so then, you know, they, they reformed, um, you know, the three of them, they, they, you know, changed their names, um, and they independently released, uh, Protect Your Neck in 1993. They, um, from there, were trying to get signed to a label. The issue, though, was that they wanted to, and RZA really was pushing to have the group signed as like one entity but then allow each member to record solo albums as well so they could go to other labels or do it under the label that they're already on and most record labels were like there's no fucking way we're gonna let anyone record anywhere else like surprise surprise you know they were being very greedy um in that front but eventually um they did end up um getting signed and um uh, I believe it was uh, to Razor Sharp Records, and then from there, other um, labels allowed them to like do solo work and, and and things like that. So it ended up working out actually, and it's it's really cool. Um, but here's a little quote from RZA. It's a little bit chopped up, so I apologize. And you know, not trying to take anything out of context, but this is the quote that I found um, about really his um, feelings on. Um, the structure of the group and how hip-hop itself was structured. I think that it's really... I never even thought of it this way. Um, and it's really um, innovative how he looked at things from a business perspective. So the, here's the quote, though. We reinvented the way hip-hop was structured. And what I mean is you have a group signed to a label, yet the infrastructure of our deal was like anyone else's. We could still negotiate with any label we wanted. Like, Meth went with Def Jam, Ray went with Loud, Ghost went with Sony, Jizza went with Geffen, and all these labels still put Razor Sharp Records on the credits. Wu-Tang was a financial movement. So what do you want to diversify? Your assets? So, you know, kind of what I was saying, essentially they get signed to this label as Wu-Tang Clan, and then they can all do their own solo stuff on the side, which was really cool. Um, and it... <laughs> Now that I like hear it um, or hear RZA talking about it, it, it's pretty obvious, you know, that that's how things work. But it never really dawned on me until now that, you know, it was like this concerted idea and effort put into this structure of everything. 
super awesome stuff uh, and really interesting. So they released that first album, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Um, and then from there, they uh, started putting out um, solo releases. And then in 1997, and, and the solo releases were pretty much the core of the group. I think it was five of the nine members uh, put out a solo album between 1994 and 1997. Um, and then after that, they released, uh, in 1997, they released their second album, Wu-Tang Forever, which debuted at number one. It was a huge success. It, it was it, great in that sense. The crazy thing is, in two years, so from 97, between 97 and 2000, um, so it ended up being about two two years, um, give or take, as the group, you know, or members of the group um, were releasing more solo albums, um, and they released 10 albums in two years. Um, some of the members released multiple albums, some of them only released one, and I think one or two actually didn't release any. Um, and I was actually reading there's some people who feel that the oversaturation of music from that actually hurt the Wu-Tang Clan, um, you know, as a whole, because people were just like, I can't <laughs> I can't listen to this group of nine guys anymore. Um, but in 2000, um, they uh, got back together to create their third album, The W. The only person that wasn't there was ODB. He was in prison in California for a parole violation, but he was on one track uh, called Conditioner, um, which he recorded his verse from prison over the phone. Um, the album was really well received. Gravel Pit was the one of the bigger hits off of it. That's one of um, the few songs that I truly know from Wu Tang Clan, um, and it's which was referenced in the episode on Tuesday. Um, and uh, the song reached, or rather, the album reached double platinum. After that, they released Iron Flag in two thousand and one. Um, it was it was well received by critics, but fans weren't as big on it. If I remember correctly from my reading, I think it was more focused in like some features and things like that. Um, so, if fans weren't um, into it as much as the previous uh, four or three. So after that, you know, touring and more solo projects, um, in 2004, some, it's, things started getting a little rocky, um, you know, a little more obviously rocky in that sense. So you got, um, he actually left the group due to Riz's treatment of him. Apparently he felt that Riz was holding back his solo career, you got that is, um, on purpose. Um, so he left... Um, and then also in 2004, um, ODB was at a, the Wu-Tang studio um, in New York and passed out and then uh, unfortunately died um, of a drug overdose. So um, pretty substantial loss in that sense, obviously. Um, so after that, um, from like between of to 2010 another round of solo albums came out and then in 2007 they released the album eight diagrams there were some issues with this as well um, because of the amount of solo albums being released by members of the group there was some intersecting uh, timelines and Ghostface uh, released an album and then literally the week later was when um, RZA dropped the newest or this album 
um, by Wu-Tang, and it caused a, a pretty big um, rift between Go- Ghostface and RZA, because Ghostface was pretty pissed that, uh, you know, he puts out an album and, you know, the dust has barely even uh, started to settle, um, you know, on that, and all of a sudden his, you know, the Wu-Tang, who is... Um, you know, gonna probably outshine his release. Uh, you know, it gets it gets dropped. So, understandably, he was pretty pissed. So from there, um, some more solo albums get released. There were some issues where I think it was like uh, Raekwon, Ghostface, and Jizza were like, "We're not going. We're gonna start our own group because of issues with RZA." Um, so things were pretty they were ten uh there was a lot of tension within the group but then in um 2013 or 2014 uh they released their um new album called a better tomorrow leading up to that album everyone in wu-tang uh was on the album except for raekwon and jizza but then, um, right before the album was getting finished, they added some verses, decided to get on the album, um, and the Wu-Tang Clan was back together, um, you know, for the, for the most part. So then in March t- uh, 2014, uh, um, another Wu-Tang album gets announced. It was ca- it's called Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. It was actually mainly produced by an affiliate of the Wu-Tang Clan called Silver Rings, um, and it's a double album. It's 31 tracks long. Now, some of you may be familiar with this album. It is um, very unique in its release. So, the, the of those thirty-one tracks, there's some new things, um, you know, newer uh, recorded and produced songs. But then there are some old tracks that have never been heard. Um, you know, some some hidden kind of you know tracks, and, and a lot of mysteriousness around that. Um. It was announced, I believe it was by RZA, it was like, there's only going to be one copy of this album made. The masters will be destroyed. We're going to encase the album in a handcrafted silver and nickel box. And we're going to take it around to museums and preview a small snippet of some of the songs. So one of, there was um, one snippet that they did it was like 51 seconds long they let some um like news uh folks listen to it so they could report on it and apparently uh share is on the track <laughs> i have no idea um i mean no one has really heard of this album um they then you know again you know we're taking it around to these museums they also started saying like hey you know if you want to buy it start putting bids in you know and things like that according to RZA they had million multi-million dollar offers on it um and then the uh, uh douchebag ghoul um disgusting excuse of a human being uh, Martin Shkreli, that um, pharma guy who like upped the diabetes uh, medication, and and he's just known for his general douchebaggery, um, bought it for two million dollars, um, and then he actually started releasing snippets of it one at, right after Trump won the election, and then not long after that he got uh, uh, arrested and charged in federal court for, I mean, genuine like 
criminal activity, but as far as I'm concerned, they just were like, you're an asshole, go to prison, goodbye. And they seized a lot of his assets, but apparently this Wu-Tang album is not one of them, so he still has this album, as far as I can tell. But anyway, um, after that, they released an album in 2017, and it's called The Saga Continues. Um, everyone's on it except for You God, who is actually at that time was suing the group for $2 million um, in royalties. So obviously things are a little bit um, tense still between You God specifically and uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, unfortunately. I mean, you know, obviously with having that many... Um, people in a group you're going to run into issues it's kind of crazy though to think about the fact that you have all of these different members that are putting out these solo albums sometimes over top of one another and um obviously there were issues that came up but for the most part everyone's seems cool i mean you know with the exception of unfortunately odb passing away um and you god now being completely out of the group and suing them i mean for going on this long, um, you know, it, it, for them to still be together and releasing music is pretty darn cool, I gotta say. I do know that there are, um, or there is a documentary, uh, it, which um, was the reason that this was the song on Tuesday. Joe was watching the Wu-Tang Clan documentary that I believe is on Hulu. Uh, that, that I am for sure going to be checking out, um, you know, probably uh, within the next day or so, uh, um, you know, uh, doing a little research for this episode. And, and Joe, um, you know, when speaking with him a little bit and doing a little research for that episode, I was piqued my interest a little bit more to find out really everything I can about the Wu-Tang Clan. So definitely something to check out. I'm sure it'll provide so much more insight into the group than I ever could. Um, as you know, I'm pulling from like Wikipedia and some articles and things like that, um, just for a more general overview. So yeah, that's the uh, Wu Tang Clan. Um, just a very brief history on them. Obviously, I could probably spend like multiple parts, you know, hours talking about them. I know there's a few books out there as well that really goes and does like a deep dive into their history i think one of them was written by rizza himself or some of the members of the of the wu-tang clan so definitely something to look into as well so i did just want to you know talk on some things going on in music um so some news not so good some news very good um so I'll start with the kind of uh, not good stuff and make my way through to the lighter um, stuff going on. So um, so on Tuesday, um, absolute legend of um, music, film scores, legend of film himself, uh, Ennio Morricone, has passed away. He is um, mostly known for his you know, his music scores, mainly for the Westerns made um, in Italy, um, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and, and uh, A Fistful of Dollars, and, and really that that style. I mean, you've heard some of his, his music before. I can promise you, you have. Um, he was an absolute uh, giant within um, music, within film, and, I mean, obviously, um, although, you know, 
he, he was 91 when he passed. Um, so he lived a long and excellent life, but still a devastating blow to the music uh, community. Um, the other kind of, not kind of, the other bad thing going on, although it's good in that this information is now coming out and these people are now being uh, removed from the music scene. Um, so the past t like week or two, um, some allegations, which were then uh, confirmed, came out about the dubstep um, producer uh, Bass Nectar. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Bass Nectar is, he is uh, one of the... Um, or was one of the biggest names within bass music in general. He's been around for quite a long time. I mean, admittedly, he was one of the first uh, dubstep artists I'd ever heard. Um, over time, he's developed this insane network and platform for his music. Um, to call him a titan of bass music would probably be selling him too short. It was really almost like a, a lifestyle based around him. Um, but unfortunately, it came out that he had been utilizing his place of power within the music community, as well as um, just in general. He, he was using that to abuse women um, emotionally, possibly physically. He um, was outed as having relation a relationship with a 17 year old girl um yeah it's weird um like i said i mean i'm happy that this is now being talked about and that folks like bass nectar and other artists space jesus and other artists thrift works and other like the list goes on and on and on and on and on and first and foremost like when i hear all this stuff i'm like wh how it's not hard to not be a piece of shit. <laughs> it's really not hard. And every time I hear about these folks, beyond the obvious of just being abusive, the fact that they are utilizing um, something so pure as their platform and music and the, the EDM scene in particular to... Um, to to do these uh, to do this abuse and everything it's it's just it's beyond anything i like i'm at a loss for words just trying to to kind of bring my you know kind of wrap my brain around all of this it's despicable it's disgusting and i'm i'm glad that they're gone i'm glad that they're out of music they deserve nothing but to stay away they're they don't deserve any type of forgiveness, in my opinion. Um, especially someone like Bass Nectar, who was always all about, you know, positivity. And, and he did do some positive things in that front. But um, to use his place within music and to understand his level of influence over his fans and then to utilize that to abuse folks is beyond reproach. And it is horrific and sorry i uh, i get a little passionate about this stuff but it's just it's just it's fucked and there's not much more to say about it i mean the last thing people need to hear is a guy talking about this more so i'll leave it at that it's just sorry for getting a little 
worked up on that. It's just, it's just, it's just so fucked. So sincerely, fuck you, Base Nectar, uh, and Thriftworks, um, Space Jesus, um, and all those other base artists that have been abusive and disgusting and monsters. Anyway, <laughs> some more, uh, some weird news, some like wackier kind of music stuff, uh, and admittedly very annoying music stuff. Kanye West is back in the news. So last week I mentioned that he had a new song come out with Travis Scott that I personally very much enjoyed uh, called Wash Us in the Blood. And I was dumb enough to think that that would be kind of his, hey, I'm putting out a new album or here's some new music and that's it. Nope. He has to do some crazy bullshit again. So Kanye has announced that he's running for president against Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which to me is just like, all right, dude, whatever. You're in the news again. Good for you. I mean, shit, I'm talking about it. So it, he, it's working, right? He's now denounced his affiliations to Donald Trump. There's been some kind of retroactive uh, erasure of his support of Donald Trump and people are trying to spin it now as like oh he was just doing it to get in and then start dismantling things from the inside you know he had donated to various progressive and liberal causes and democratic causes while he was touting the you know make America great again hat um, I think Kim Kardashian helped influence getting a woman who was like wrongfully incarcerated out of prison which all of those things are awesome but uh, for my personal opinion, none of that is, like, on purpose. Like, he didn't go into that saying, like, I'm going to fuck everything up for him, it's him being Trump. Um, and I think j now he's like, oh, I got to get put new stuff out, so I'm going to denounce all this stuff and act like it was all um, on purpose and whatever. I don't know, man. I'm getting really sick of his stuff. And I'm a big fan of Kanye, if you haven't noticed, from all the times I've mentioned him on this podcast. Um I'm just, like, at a point of, like, I don't care anymore, man. Like, it, whatever. We're talking about it. You're in the news again. Good for you. Um, he said that he apparently, I think, is going to make Elon Musk the head of, like, NASA or whatever. He's also, um, he announced, I think it was in an interview, uh, that he he's running under uh, the birthday party, which I honestly thought was hilarious. Um, I don't know. See, he's already winning me over, so it's all working. I whatever. He's he's a clown, or he's being a clown right now. Um, hopefully, the music is good. The first song, um, again, "Washes in the Blood," is a good sign. So we'll see. Um, the other bit of news that I wanted to just talk about really quick um, is that uh, the movie Tron Three was announced to be in development. The big part of that being um, Daft Punk is apparently um, slated to return to do the soundtrack, or at least that's what kind of like all the headlines said, which shame on me for just reading that. But, you know, hopefully that's true. Um, any new music from Daft Punk is welcomed, um, especially with Tron 2 having such an awesome uh, score and soundtrack. It, you know, everyone's very excited for Daft Punk to come back with this movie. Anyway, that's my rambling uh, music news segment. <laughs> Sorry for, for going a little uh, out there uh, on, on some of that stuff. Anyway, 
I did want to talk about some new music um, that is coming out, uh, or rather that came out last week that, um, you know, I listened to most of it. Um, but anyway, the first album I wanted to talk about is um, called Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon by the late uh, artist Pop Smoke. He's a hip-hop artist um, who was murdered late last year, earlier this year. Um, so this album is, you know, uh, posthumously released. Um, it, I don't believe it was finished before he uh, was murdered, but um, it's been getting some decent reviews. Um, some people really do enjoy the album. I actually haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet. Um, he... Um, Apparently, though, has a really cool, like, New York drill style um, and was kind of putting that scene up on the map. So um, it's definitely something I want to check out. But again, that's by the artist Pop Smoke. It's called Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon. Another hip-hop album that came out um, is called Gucci Mane Presents So I See Summer by the artist Gucci Mane. I have not listened to that album as well. He's a trap artist. Um, I'm sure it'll be a funny, silly trap album. He's always put out some pretty quality stuff, although um, as I get older, uh, some of the stuff he talks about I'm not as into, but I'll probably check it out. Um, there was a, uh, a new Willie Nelson album to kind of completely do a 180 on music styles. It's called The First Rose of Spring. I gave it a listen, and, <laughs> um, and I wasn't expecting it to be so introspective existential and frankly sad <laughs> it's a beautiful album it is gorgeous he sounds amazing the um, instrumental pieces on it are phenomenal um, it's a beautiful album but god damn it if it is not it gave me an existential crisis a lot of the content of the album is him um reminiscing about his youth talking about aging talking about his own mortality um yeah it threw me for a loop i will say i was having a i was having one of those days where i was feeling pretty good and then i put that album on and was like oh jesus it was a little devastating but uh, i've <laughs> despite all that i highly recommend it um it's a, it's a cool album again that's the new willie nelson album first rose of spring uh, a couple of new songs, or sorry, there was one other album that I wanted to talk about that I, I, I think I was a week late on, um, but it's the new Heim album. It's called Women in Music Part 3. I've listened to it twice through now. Love every single moment of it. Um, this is actually going to be my recommendation for the week as well. It's again called Women in Music Part 3 by the uh, trio Heim, um, and it's like indie rock, um, there's like some folky influences on it, um, some islandy kind of vibes on it at some points. Um, so it's 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 a cool album. It's good for this type of summer weather. Um, really laid back. Some nice like you can kind of throw it on next to the pool. Just kind of has some chilled out music if you want a little bit more of like a quieter day. Highly highly recommend it. It is my recommendation for this episode. Again, Heim Music and uh, Women in Music Part Three. There were also a couple of new tracks that came out uh, last week. Uh, Megan the Stallion had a song called Girls in the Hood. Um, and then there was a new Ty Dolla Sign song featuring FKA Twigs, Kanye West, and Skrillex called Ego Death. Um, and then Ellie Golden put out a song called Slow Grenade. Um, and she added that to like the group of singles that she's been releasing for her upcoming album. 
Um, there is some new music uh, coming up uh, tomorrow. Um, so first, uh, the one big album is uh, Juice World, the late Juice World. Um, he has his album Legends Never Die coming out. Um, unfortunately, he passed rather recently um, due to an overdose. Um, young guy, really tragic stuff. This has a very been a very um, anticipated album, so um, keep an eye out for that again. It's called Legends Never Die. There's an album called Jump Rope Gazers by The Beths coming out. Um, Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park has an album called Dropped Frames Volume 1 coming out. 100 Gex uh, has an album coming out called 1000 Gex and the Tree of Clues. There's also an album by The Streets, the British uh, rap artist uh, The Streets, and it's called None of Us Are Getting Out of This Life Alive. Um... There is a possible uh, Kid Cudi album coming out or some type of release. He um, tweeted out July 10th, um, and so I'm assuming he has some new music coming out tomorrow. And then something I wasn't really aware of, um, My Morning Jacket is releasing the follow-up to their album, The Waterfall, um, which I think was released in 2015. This album is called The Waterfall 2. It's uh, It was a surprise album. Uh, that came out, so or that is coming out tomorrow, so definitely check that out. Outside of that, I think that's it. So again, my recommendation for this week is the Haim album, Women in Music Part 3. Um, oh, there is a new song by the group Party Muscles. Um, Colin, previous guest, uh, it's, uh, he is in that band. Uh, the, the, uh, the song is called um, I Don't Believe in America, it's very timely. It's incredible. I love, love, love it. Um, I don't know, Colin, if you're listening or if the other members of Party Muscles are listening, it's awesome. I'm so, <laughs> so happy to hear the new tunes coming out. Can't wait for uh, some new music. Um, you know, eventually, I'm sure. I don't speak for them. But, um, yeah, it's. I'm excited about the new song. It's really good. Again, it's called I Don't Believe in America, and it's by the group Party Muscles. Please give it a thousand listens. Support them as much as you can. I uh, love those guys. But yeah, that's it uh, for this extra long companion episode. Um, I will be back on Tuesday with another full-length interview episode with a good friend. We'll talk about um, a classic hip-hop song as well. Kind of funny how that worked out. A little less classic, I would say, than Cream, but still um, recognizable and beloved in its own right. Anyway, uh, if you want to find the podcast online, you know, social media, you can go ahead to facebook.com slash the last song you heard. Twitter and Instagram, it is the last song, or it's at the last song pod. You can send me an email at the last song you heard at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. If uh, if you could do me a huge solid and tell your friends and, and everyone about the podcast, I would love to get some new listeners. That would be cool. I'm always happy to have more ears giving this a shot. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone who's listening currently. I love you all. You're all my favorites. I genuinely mean that, too. I, I can't express how thankful I am to have people listening at all, uh, let alone for, you know, 35-ish episodes. So, yeah, thank you again for all of that. Anyways, that's it. 
I hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. Check in on your friends if you haven't heard from them in a little bit. Make sure everyone's doing all right, considering the times. Be smart out there. Wear a mask. For God's sake, wear a mask. Otherwise, talk to you Tuesday. Tuesday.